again, my friends. Welcome to episode 13 in our bi-weekly series of Saving Christianity episodes. We're coming to you every other Tuesday from Christian Family Online, and I'm your host, John Shields. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion of spiritual growth and what people call the deeper, deeper spiritual walk. In other words, We're going to continue discussing how you and your loved ones can have more peace, healing, and hope in our daily lives. Now, the title of this episode is The Infant Christian. Yeah, you heard me right, uh, The Infant Christian. Of course, the the title might make us a little uncomfortable, but um, stay with us. Most people don't like to think of themselves as infants in any Uh, much less as being an infant Christian. I know that's true because I'm somewhat uncomfortable with it myself, especially the first time I heard that term. So this is going to be another challenging episode, just as many of the episodes have been so far. Also, as been the case in many of our episodes, you're going to hear some facts that you may not have ever heard before. And that's why we're producing these episodes for you. We want you to have the facts about Christianity that few, if any, other books, videos, podcasts, you name it, can give you. But before we continue, we turn now to our co-host, Owen Allen. Owen, are you ready for the show today? Yo, John, I think I'm ready. Uh, And I also want to welcome our friends out in podcast land. Uh, At this point in our series, of course, we're now in chapter 8 of the book, Saving Christianity. So I hope all of our friends have read that chapter, but even if they haven't, I think they're going to be touched and inspired by what they're about to hear. Wow, I totally agree with that. That's a big ditto. This is a very, very, and I emphasize very important and dramatic episode. Well, it really is, John. And by the way, just as a little insert here, speaking of reading, I want to say something that's really important. I was talking to one of our subscribers the other day, and he he surprised me. He told me that he had never visited our website to read a transcript of our episodes. And so, frankly, I told him what I'm about to tell our friends now, and that's this. It's extremely helpful not required, but helpful to read the transcripts of these shows. And here's why. Scientists say that 80% of our learning comes from our sense of sight, and only 10%, 10% of our learning comes from the sense of hearing. So think about it. If our friends only listen to our shows, and of course, that, that's, I know that's what a podcast is for, but if our friends only listen to our shows, they're only using 10% of their ability to learn the facts and principles uh, in these shows. But, but if they happen to go to our website and read the transcripts of the episodes, mm-hmm. they're using 80% of their ability to learn. And think about this. If for some reason they both listened and read the episodes at the same time, they'd be using 90% of their ability to learn. And I know a lady who's doing that. Mm -hmm. But see, that's why teachers always use pictures, posters, and PowerPoints in classrooms. They're learning or adding, I should say, visual learning to all of the different students' uh, ability for all audio learning. So let's urge our friends to go to our website at goscpod.com, goscpod.com, and read and listen to our shows uh, even at the same time. I enjoy doing that myself. And if they do, these shows are going to mean much, much more to them. Yeah, they certainly will, Owen. I just agree with that completely. I, I know some subscribers who who are trying this, and they'll tell you up front that it makes a huge difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, but John, now let's go ahead and kick off our discussion 
of something that the early Christians called infant Christians, infant Christians. And to lay the groundwork, it'll help our friends to remember some of the facts that we discussed in episodes 9 and 10. Remember, those were the episodes that had the titles, The Natural Person and The Spiritual Growth Charts. This episode is built on those earlier episodes because, you know, we haven't mentioned this enough, I guess, John, but our podcast is called by the technical people a serial, a serial podcast, and that means that it's a series of connected shows that build on one another. So if they want to get ready for this, our friends can go back and review episodes 9 and 10 on the website. Yeah, that's right, Owen. And in those two earlier episodes, uh, just as a reminder, told us that people start out in life as natural people. And then the first step in spiritual growth uh, is to become an infant Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just as it is in the natural world, it is in the spiritual world. (laughs) And that means all of us need to know what infant Christians are. Well, that's true. That's true. And so, actually, this episode is going to help our friends think about this a second, find out where they are in the spiritual growth process. Mm. And to do that, we're going to answer five questions in this episode. And here are those five questions. Number one, what is a non-Christian? Two, What is a Christian? Three, how does a non-Christian become a Christian? Four, how is a Christian different from a non-Christian? And five, what is an infant Christian? These are extremely important questions, and I don't think that a a lot of people have clear (laughs) answers to them. At least I don't think a lot of people have the same kind of clear answers to them that the early Christians had. And, Owen, I I can't tell you, uh, I I just love talking about this, bringing clarity to this subject. There is just no need for there to be confusion uh, and misunderstanding. And so this this is an exciting episode. Well, I think so. I get excited about it. But, see, John, look, here's a big, big problem. We are answering these Christians the way the early Christians answered them, because as we say, nobody's doing that today. Listen, we're answering these five very deep questions the way that Peter and John and Paul and Luke and Jesus' two half-brothers, James and Jude, and Jesus himself answered them. That's the key the way that they answered them. In other words, uh, we're going to define something we've talked about previously, (laughs) the fuzzy words in these questions with early Christian definitions, and that's so important. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to use those definitions as models, a a template, if you Mm -hmm. will, uh, as it relates to our daily behavior, the way we agreed to with those three ground rules back in Episode 8. Yeah, way back in Episode 8. We're still building on that. See, John, that's why we are a serial podcast. But look, here we go. Let's answer the first question, and that question was, Mm -hmm. what is a non-Christian? What is a non-Christian? Well, I think many people, many people would say a non-Christian is a person this is probably the default answer, is someone who doesn't go to church. Mm. In other words, a person who doesn't go to a certain place at a certain time. Mm. Or, or maybe a person who uh, was, wasn't christened yeah. uh, as a baby. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a person who has never answered an, uh, quote, altar call, end quote, at the end of a worship service and have been prayed for by a pastor or a priest and of course, that's just a few of probably maybe the top five answers. There are many, many, many more. That's right. Maybe there are too many yeah, answers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and those are totally some of the answers that people would probably give. But look at this, John. Here's the mistake. 
Those answers uh, that people could give uh, were not possible for the early Christians. Right. None of those answers that you just gave yep. would have been given by the early Christians. Why not? Mm-hmm. Because, as we know from all our previous episodes, churches, church services, pastors, and priests didn't exist in early Christianity. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, none of these things, wow. Think about that. Existed <laughs> in the first century. And uh, those are traditions that we started by today's denominations. Yep. But to the early Christians, mm-hmm. listen to this. A non-Christian was a person who had not yet had a certain experience. Exactly. And we're going to talk about that experience. You know, John, uh, back in episode nine, we laid down sort of a principle. We said that non-Christians are natural, natural people. And we discussed that at length in the Greek meanings of that word. But the early Christians called them that because mm-hmm. non-Christians are, quotes naturally motivated. Right. Non-Christians are motivated by their human nature, and that's why they called them natural people. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this uh, Here's another point, Owen, I think mm-hmm. that's so important. Uh, we can't emphasize it enough. No. It's this. Non-Christians... And this is a this is a such a significant statement. Mm. Non Christians only have one inner motivator. Ouch. And as we've discussed um, over over the our different episodes, that may be a new or maybe even an unusual way of thinking about it in mm. terms of a motivator. Mm-hmm. But they're they're only motivated by their selfish human natures. Mm. And that's a huge problem for them. That is a huge problem. Yes. You know, remember, John, back in Episode 9, we talked about the 2,400 psychiatrists uh, in San Francisco who met there uh, for the big meeting, and they announced to the world that Check this out. Our selfish human nature uh, is the cause. Our natures are the cause of all the trouble in the world. Right. Look at that. And so what what does that fact mean to non-Christians? Yes. It reminds me of a mother I once knew who always said that her children couldn't stay out of trouble. Right. Well, that's what happens to non-Christians, I'm sorry to report. Yes. They can't stay out of trouble. Yeah, that's right. You know, back in Episode 10, we had a actually a spiritual growth chart for our friends that that showed a picture mm-hmm. of a non-Christian's motivation. Yeah. And that chart, if you recall, mm-hmm. was totally black. And so let Owen remind our friends about that chart. You it that chart is your uh idea. Yeah. Yeah, great, great, John, thinking it to be a deathbed honest, it's the Holy Spirit's yes, idea, right. but that's another story. We did we did discuss that black chart, if you want to call it that, at the end of episode 10, and remember, it's also on page 89 of the book, Saving Christianity, so right here in this script, uh, let's see, we're actually about 13, 14 minutes into the script. Uh, we're going to put it right here again in the transcript so when they pull it up on the website, they can look at it. Yeah. But, John, as we said, the tragic thing about this particular chart mm-hmm. is that it's completely black. And we, I'm looking at a picture of it here in the transcript now. It's completely black. Mm-hmm. Why is it completely black? It's completely black because non-Christian motivation starts at the bottom right of the chart with a selfish human nature, moves up the chart through people's minds at the top, moves back down the other side mm-hmm. to the bottom left into the human spirit. Yes. And so what that means is why it's black is because non-Christians, with them, the selfish human nature dominates their entire their entire motivational system. Oh, and uh, just just briefly, I, c- I can remember teaching this this uh, 
concept one time in a classroom setting mm-hmm. and with some less than uh, flattering words describing our selfish human nature. <laughs> and uh, one of my students, an adult, was so offended by that mm-hmm. that they literally turned their back to me. Oh, uh, they continued to listen, but they would not it was their uh, their uh, pushback on that that they just could not bring themselves to believe that. But you say, well, how how do you guys really know that? Well, we start by looking in the mirror every morning, <laughs> and so uh, we understand that completely. the The only thing motivating a non Christian uh, is our selfish nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, non Christians, and he, here's the here's the punchline. Non-Christians only have one inner motivator, one. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Well, it's all black, Mm -hmm. and that's scary for all of us. You know, I had to laugh, John. I had a lady in a class one time who got up and walked out Mm -hmm. and never came back. And she she said because her grandchildren were so sweet uh, (laughs) as babies and so cute and sweet and gentle that there's no possible way that they were totally totally negative in their behavior, and she dropped out of the class. So it is scary to people, but our friends are stronger than that out in podcast land. They're hanging on because we said that selfish motivator is the cause of all the world's trouble. That's what we uh, need to deal with. It's the cause of all the crime, drug abuse, divorce, Mm -hmm. child abuse, suicides, and all the other trouble in the world, and that's important. Yes, it is important. But the bad news is that non-Christians can't. That's right. We can't Mm -hmm. control this selfish motivation, at okay. least for for not a very long period of time, <laughs> no matter how hard we try. Mm-hmm. We are, as human beings, naturally selfish. Mm-hmm. And uh, Owen, back to your comment a moment ago about the babies, you know, isn't it interesting that we never had to teach our children to do wrong? Yep. Never. Mm-hmm. Uh we had to teach them as, as early as they can understand to do right because it came naturally to them to do wrong, to be selfish. And, and again, that's why the early Christians called them natural people. It just makes sense. And you know, John, that's so true. Anybody that's raised children or lived any life at all knows that's true. You know, I say in my book, uh, it, children, as you say, naturally steal one another's toys mm-hmm. and lie about whether or not they've eaten their spinach and all those type of things. And, right. <laughs> and that just comes natural to them. So, John, the most important thing that you've said so far is that non-Christians cannot control their selfishness, at least not for long. They think they control it, and they say they control it, but in real life, they can't. Yeah, it always comes creeping back. And let's let's prove that, Owen, with the story of Jesus' original 12 disciples. (laughs) You remember, Jesus taught them for three years. They lived with him, and he showed them miracles. They heard all of his teaching for three years, mm-hmm. up close and personal. Mm-hmm. But was his intense training able to help them control their selfishness? Well, that's a great question, John, because when I was growing up, uh, as a boy in Sunday school and all those type of things, I naturally thought that mm-hmm. that Peter and John and Andrew and Philip and all of those original 12 uh, apostles that walked with Jesus were spiritual people. Yes. Well, let's find out. And I think the quickest way to do that, again, we're in chapter 8 today. I want to read a couple of things from pages 95 and 96 in the book Mm -hmm. because it says, let's look back at the behavior of the 12 original disciples uh, that traveled with Jesus. Number one, the whole time Jesus was teaching them, they argued among themselves about which one of them was the greatest disciple. Disciple. And then toward the end of their training period, uh, one of the disciples made a secret deal with Jesus' enemies, mm-hmm. enemies to betray him, and then actually led an armed mob mm-hmm. to Jesus' hiding place to arrest him. 
Now, of course, Jesus knew mm-hmm. that he was about to be betrayed, so he asked three three of his most trusted disciples to come and pray with him for the strength and courage to face the ordeal. But instead of praying with him, the three disciples went to sleep. And Mm. then (laughs) when the mob arrived to arrest Jesus and they dragged him to the chief priest's home to be interrogated, one of Jesus' disciples followed at a a Mm. distance, lingered in the courtyard to see what was going to happen. Of course, that was Peter. Mm -hmm. But when some of the priest's disciples recognized him and accused him of being a disciple, what did he do? Mm. He swore, cursed, and said he'd never even met Mm. Jesus. Finally, John, Mm. horrible, horrible. After Jesus was tried and executed and buried, the disciples hid behind locked doors and wouldn't even go outside. Why? Because they were afraid they'd be recognized as Jesus' former disciples. So I think let's stop here. We could keep reading. There are other examples in the book. But here's our surprise from documented history, John. Think about this now. There were no spiritual people on planet Earth when Jesus walked here, not even his own disciples. Why? Because there were no Christians at that time. Everybody on earth was a non-Christian. That meant everybody was selfish. There were no spiritual people until after, after Jesus rose from the dead and returned to heaven. So we've actually answered our first question. We defined a non-Christian as a person who can't control his or her selfishness. Right. That's actually true. So we have answered the question, what is a non-Christian? Partially, let's flesh it out slightly. Non-Christians are people who have only one inner motivator. That one inner motivator is their selfish human nature. They don't have a motivator for spiritual Growth. Right. You can't access something Mm-mm. that's not there. Mm-mm. You can't sell out of an empty wagon. Right. So they don't have, listen, they do not have supernatural. There's the key word. Yes. They do not have supernatural peace, healing, and hope in their lives. And that is a terrible problem <laughs> for millions and millions of people mm. the world over. Horrible. Uh, bad habits, addictions, conflict in their lives. In mm-hmm. fact, it's everywhere. And uh, despite our best intentions, mm-hmm. we can't do anything about it yeah. to bring really uh, bring change. As you say, Owen, so much change isn't change until there is change. <laughs> so they're like <laughs> Jesus' 12 original disciples. They're living selfish lives. They may not want to. They may wish it weren't true, but they can't stop themselves from doing it. That's the thing about it, John. You know, uh, selfishness is sort of like an addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't eat just one. (laughs) But exactly right, John. And and that fact, the fact is that Jesus' most highly trained disciples could not be spiritual. And that, so that proves that no non-Christian anywhere can be Christian, uh, can be spiritual. Uh, they don't have the equipment within themselves to, to be, be spiritual. Yeah. And, and oh, and, it, and I know when we say that, it seems hopeless for millions of people. And in many ways it is. But as we've said from the beginning broadcast Mm -hmm. here, that the good news is that there is a solution. Right. We're not just talking about the problem, but there is a solution. Mm -hmm. Non-Christians have the same solution that Jesus' disciples had after he returned to heaven. Mm. Man, that is some powerful good news because that's when the disciples became the spiritual people on earth. Hot dog. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. And so here we are. We're answering now the second big question on our list. Uh, What is a Christian? Number two question, what is 
a Christian? And I think maybe the best way to answer that, John, properly would be to tell our friends what happened at the very last meal Mm -hmm. that Jesus had with his disciples, because obviously he knew Mm -hmm. they couldn't control their selfishness. He frequently lost his temper about it and chastised them about it. But all the time he had a plan, a plan to solve their problem. Mm, Thankfully, yes. He understood them completely. He understands us completely. And we're talking about what is referenced in in the Bible Mm. as the Last Supper. And it it was at that meal that Jesus brought forth the revelation that he had a solution for the problem of their selfishness. Imagine. Imagine what we're saying here. But. Sadly, even that, obviously, John, they didn't understand because, Mm -hmm. as we've said so often, uh, spiritual matters are only spiritually understood, and they weren't spiritual at that time. So they didn't understand that this solution that he was talking about was that he was going within the eight, eight next weeks. He was going to establish a new spiritual movement on earth, Mm -hmm. and that new spiritual movement would eventually be known as Christianity. But they didn't understand that. (laughs) They didn't even understand this was their last meal with him. Yeah, that's right. But here here we go. Jesus explained the solution Hmm. to selfishness. Hmm. Isn't that that something? Hot dog. And that solution— this is what gets me, gets my motor running, <laughs> is still available to all of yes, us today. Yes, yes. So, Owen, let's let's go with the good news. Let's tell our friends what mm-hmm. that solution is. John, it happened, as we said, at the Last Supper. Now, frankly, uh, it's such a, a Jesus made a statement that is so powerful that for me, at least, it's hard to read without getting emotional, but but let's try. He said that after he had left earth mm-hmm. and returned to heaven, think about it now, this is what he was going to do up in heaven. Right. And this is what he said to them. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will give you a deeper knowledge of the truth, mm-hmm. who will give you the supernatural strength you need for everyday life, and this other helper or comforter is the Holy Spirit. Yes. He will live in in you, right. and he will teach you all things, and mm. he will guide you into all truth. So let's think about it uh, in in the context and in the verbiage we've been using along the way. In other words, he was going to send back to earth a second, second inner motivator for people. Think about that. And that motivator would be the solution to the problem that uh, humankind have controlling their selfish behavior. Absolutely, see, because once this new motivator who is supernatural and who is coming straight from the throne room of heaven Mm -hmm. was inside people, they would then become known as Christians. Yes. And that tells us that one of the purposes of Christianity is to give people the ability to be spiritual. Mm -hmm. And again, defining our terms by being spiritual, we mean the ability to overcome pride, lust, bad habits, addictions, and every form of selfishness. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I never get tired of telling this story. Mm -hmm. So so let's, let's continue. Let's tell our friends what Jesus did next. Let's tell them how he fulfilled, how it actually came to be this incredible promise for all people. This is so important to remember the sequence of events Mm -hmm. that occurred immediately after this last meal with the disciples. Later that same night, he was arrested, and within a few hours, he was sentenced to death, was crucified, and died, and was buried. Mm -hmm. But 
Three days later, he rose from the dead, appeared to the disciples at their hideout in their locked room, and he gave them their final instructions before he returned to heaven. And here's what he said to them. Don't leave Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Wait here for the promise that you heard me tell about. Yes. In a few days, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive supernatural power when he comes in you. Yes. Wow. Amen. Mm. Uh, Hallelujah. (laughs) And on and on. Praise be to God. Jesus was telling them what was going to happen 10 days later during during a Jewish wheat harvest festival Mm -hmm. that the people called the Festival of Pentecost. But But the most important word in Jesus' instructions was the word baptized. And so it's very important that we define that fuzzy word for our friends. Oh, that's right, John. That's the key to Christianity, and is probably one of the most misunderstood mm-hmm, words for sure uh, in Christianity today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word "baptized" in the first-century Greek sense is an extremely important word. In fact, it is the key to understanding Christianity. But see, when people hear the word "baptized" today, yeah. they think it's a religious word. Right? They think it's referring to the water baptism that today's denominations perform, christening babies, pouring water on adults, or immersing people in pools of water. But at the Last Supper, Jesus was using the word baptize with its first century meaning, and that had nothing to do with putting water on people. (laughs) No, it didn't. Check this out now. Let's be very careful here. Mm -hmm. To first century people, uh, the word baptize was not not a religious word. It was an everyday word that all men, women, and children used in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And here's what the word meant to first century people. It meant to immerse something in a substance could be water, oil, other substances, and then let it soak in that substance until its makeup was permanently changed. For example, when first century people made pickles, pickles, they mm. soaked cucumbers in vinegar until the cucumbers turned into pickles. And then guess what they said? They said <laughs> they had now baptized the cucumbers. Mm. So when Jesus told the disciples that they were going to be baptized in the Spirit uh, with their ears, Mm -hmm. they understood the word, of course, in their context of the first century. Mm -hmm. They understood that the Holy Spirit was going to come down from heaven and immerse a part of them until that part of them was permanently changed. Is, Is that the way to understand this. Absolutely. Just think about that. But see, then I'm sure our our uh, friends in podcast land are thinking, okay, well, what part of them was the Holy Spirit going to immerse? Mm-hmm. How was that going to change the disciples? When was that going to happen? Mm-hmm. And what would the long-term result be? Then these are history-changing questions mm-hmm. to be sure. Mm-hmm. In fact, they are watershed questions that that point us back to the flow chart that we're using. Mm -hmm. We're talking about circle number three at the bottom left of the chart, and that's Mm -hmm. a circle that represents the human spirit. And remember, we said that in its original condition, the human spirit is spiritually dead. In other words, it has no ability to motivate people towards spiritual living. That's true, John, and there's so much to be said there. We mm-hmm. covered all those points in an earlier episode, but as I'm just listening to you and thinking about it, the internal spirit or soul in people is keeping them alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the life force in humans. Right. It came from heaven. It right. returns to heaven. That invisible part of invisible, us. Invisible, immortal part of us. Right. And that's the very part 
of people that the Holy Spirit indwells them and soaks in power Mm -hmm. to make them Christians. That's Mm -hmm. the part that the Holy Spirit, quote, baptizes, that means immerses and soaks Mm -hmm. in supernatural power, just as Jesus promised at the Last Supper. But let's slow down just a second now because we really need to clearly understand what happened next because what happened next is one, I believe, is the most important day in human history. Mm -hmm. Yet it's a day that most people don't know anything about. It's a day that scientists and historians call the Day of Pentecost. Yeah, and, and just to remind us that this is a real calendar day in history. We need to talk about what happened on that morning. It was the annual Feast of Pentecost. Now, that feast wasn't unusual, Mm-mm. but something very unusual was going to happen on that day because that day became the birthday of Christianity. That's the morning that Christianity was founded. Exactly. A lot of people don't realize there has not always been a Christianity. (laughs) It was founded that morning in the first century. But here's what happened. Jesus had left earth and returned to heaven, just like he said. And the disciples obeyed his command, and they stayed in Jerusalem, just like he told them. Mm -hmm. They moved into a house together to wait for whatever it was. Remember, they didn't fully understand whatever it was that was going to happen to them. You know, there were 120 packed in that house. That included the 12 original disciples, plus Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters. We don't know where his father was at that point. We assume Joseph had died. And there were a hundred more of Jesus' most loyal disciples, all waiting patiently in that house. Right, and the days ticked by. (laughs) In other words, for 10 days they did that. And nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, but when it happened, <laughs> wow. on the morning of the Feast of Pentecost, the whole world was changed in just a few minutes. That's right, John. The whole world changed in a few minutes. And a lot of people don't realize most Jewish feasts were at least a week long. Uh, The Feast of Pentecost was a one-day feast because the people had to get back to the fields and harvest. So here it was this morning of this one-day feast called Pentecost. It was 9 o'clock, their time in the Mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. The date was May 30th in the year 30 A.D., And so there they were on this one-day wheat harvest festival waiting patiently. And by the way, Jerusalem, and this is important, Mm -hmm. was filled with thousands of visitors, thousands of pilgrims. And the record states that they were represented every known nation on earth. Mm -hmm. They were pilgrims from every known nation, and they had come to town for that one day to celebrate. Yeah, and and that day, Christianity was born. Bang, Christianity was born. Here's what happened. The disciples had finished breakfast. They were sitting in clusters, talking and praying. As you said, John, they had done for 10 days. And suddenly, now this is 9 in the morning, Mm -hmm. clear sky, mild day. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a roaring like an approaching tornado. Mm -hmm. And that sound came right to their house. And they started looking around in wonder. And then they saw what appeared to be fire filling the rooms of that house. Mm -hmm. Because they were all through the house, even on the upper roof. And the fire divided itself into smaller individual flames. And these little small flames, the Greek word says, settled down in each disciple. And their inner spirits or souls were immersed and soaked in supernatural power. And that is, um, if you're driving, you may want to pull over on that one. (laughs) That is the baptism. That is the immersion in spiritual power that Jesus had promised them at the Last Supper. It was now fulfilled. 
And that's the certain experience Mm -hmm. we said earlier that makes a Christian. So this event was the birthday of Christianity. That's right. And it's never died to this day. So this was the baptism in the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised the disciples at that last meal approximately eight weeks earlier. And now the promise had come true. But let's be clear on one point, John, the part of the disciples that the Holy Spirit uh, indwelled and immersed with power that morning Mm -hmm. was their human spirits. A synonym for that in Christianity Mm -hmm. is their souls. We talk about soul saving, Mm -hmm. but that's what makes a Christian. That immersion, that indwelling, immersion, soaking with power is what makes a Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells people, non-Christians, immerses their souls in power, awakens those souls to spiritual life, and gives those souls the ability to do what? To resist natural selfishness. So so now, Owen, we've answered, I think, very clearly— and specifically the question of how a non-Christian becomes a Christian. And we've used early Christian definitions to do it, just as we've promised early on. Exactly. And so we've actually also answered our third big question Uh, we mentioned earlier. How does a non-Christian become a Christian? And we now know that uh, non-Christians realize they come to some awareness Mm -hmm. that they can't control their own selfishness. They get sick and tired of all the trouble. Mm -hmm. Their own selfishness is causing them. So what do they simply have to do? Mm -hmm. They pray for the very same experience that 120 disciples had on Pentecost morning. They pray to commit their lives to Jesus, to Christ, and to be indwelled by the Spirit. And guess what? Yep. They have a personal Pentecost. Yeah, it's on then. Always. <laughs> they always have it. It never fails. And that's all there is really to becoming a Christian. Yeah, wow. And that's it that's that's just incredible. Uh and and these facts, this is the the, the truth also answer another question. And uh it also tells us how Christians are different from non Christians. That's very true, John, because the fourth question on our list was, how is a Christian different from a non-Christian? How is a Christian different from a non-Christian? And, John, let me just Mm -hmm. uh, stick in a thought here. Uh, I don't want to get too lengthy, but in my book I tell the story. I believe the name of that little story is the Friday Small Group. And I tell the story about a small group of Christian men that used to meet in my home every Friday night. And all of these were highly experienced Christians. Several were pastors. Several had been missionaries. And so one night I asked them that question. Mm -hmm. How is a Christian different from a non-Christian? And you know, they, they couldn't answer it. They could not answer it. That was in my learning period. I was stunned. That was years ago. Right. But there is one specific spiritual difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, and here it is. Oh, and before you give the definition, I want to, yeah, I want to jump in and just (laughs) say this. Uh, I really do think that that many people don't understand that this is this something that actually happens Mm -hmm. in you and they associate Christianity. Oh, you guys are people who live and walk by faith that there somehow isn't a reality to it. Right. And so this definition is so helpful. Mm. Well, let's, let's tell our friends then here we go. A Christian is a person who is indwelled by the Holy spirit and has had his or her inner spirit baptized mm-hmm. in supernatural power so that he or she now has the ability to live a spiritual life. Right. But but a non-Christian is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit and does not have the ability to live a spiritual life. 
And, and that same definition also answers our final question of the episode. You can see how they're linked together. And it also tells us what an infant Christian is. Exactly, exactly. So we have answered the fifth and final question without actually doing it because the purpose of this episode was to tell our friends what an infant Christian is. That's our title of episode 13, The Infant Christian. Mm -hmm. So question number five, last question, what is an infant Christian? And we know the answer, and here it is. Infant Christians are new Christians who've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yes, they've had their inner spirits baptized in spiritual power. Yes, but As new Christians, hang on, Mm -hmm. they aren't allowing the indwelling Holy Spirit to motivate them. Right. And that's why the Gallup poll we've talked about so much show that today's average Christian is no more spiritual than a non-Christian. It's simply because today's average Christian is an infant Christian, and the Gallup polls are surveying infant Christians. Right. And, uh, Owen, we have a chart for that showing that uh, here in the script, that uh, the chart shows us what that looks like. Right. Right here at about 45 minutes in, we've got that chart. And this time, the chart is not completely black. The left side of it's white. Mm. And in that chart, the whole left arm up and down the side is white. Uh, That's the whole left side that includes circle three at the bottom, the spirit, and the mind at the top, the human mind at the top is linked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's a little bit of white even flowing up into the mind, not totally, but Mm -hmm. a little bit. Right. Oh, and I I just think about this, uh, just listening, talking about this, that uh, Barna's survey or Gallup's polls and all of those things. And um, I think what saddens me so much is that one of the motivators for this entire podcast is that so many people don't even know this, yeah. don't understand it. Mm. And uh, their infancy is, is literally comes from not even understanding this. That's right. That's right. That's right. No question about it. And so the the trouble that happens there is that the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, these new Christians, these uh, in the first century, they actually called them children, regardless yeah. of their age, and that wasn't a put down; it was a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, their spirit was now alive and now ready to motivate, flow up in the person's mind, try to motivate him or her to resist the flesh. Mm-hmm. But the operative word is trying mm-hmm. because, and here's the final point. Yep. This is where today's Christian crisis yes. enters the picture. Yes. Because, John, why aren't people being motivated why aren't christians spiritual because here it is they're not being taught how to be spiritually motivated Mm. they're not being taught what we're calling the early christian lifestyle of spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts in their daily lives today's institutional denominations don't teach that yeah that's so true and so unfortunate and we've said so many times in these episodes that a lot of christians think that as long as they are saved is the word that uh, apart from that there's nothing else to be done mm-hmm. uh, they've bought their fire insurance so when they die um, that will take effect and they've built their fire escape and now all they need to do is just relax and enjoy life um, on their terms, and 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 they they believe that well everything's good for the next life. And that's true, John. I mean they 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 are saved. Yeah. they will go to heaven. Right, but. But it's not true in this respect, mm-hmm. because as we've said in these episodes, and this is the biggest lesson that I've learned in my long life as a Christian, yeah. one of the purposes of Christianity is for Christians to live a little bit of heaven here mm. on earth. Right. We've been saying that since the first 
episode. One of the purposes is to experience the marvelous fruit of the Spirit and the wonderful gifts of the Spirit mm-hmm. in everyday life. So, John, I don't know. I think I think maybe we should close uh, this episode the way we closed episode number nine back earlier. I think uh, we should close with a prayer for our friends. In episode nine, we prayed for our, our friends to have the strength and courage to accept the teaching that human nature is selfish and that we can't control it. And so to close this episode, Mm -hmm. maybe we should pray two things for our friends. First, if they're not indwelled by the Holy Spirit and made into Christians, let's pray that they'll pray for that experience immediately. Yes. And second, if they are already indwelled, and if they are already Christians, let's pray that they'll immediately start letting the Holy Spirit motivate more of their everyday behavior. Mm, yeah, let's pray for yeah. pray for them right now mm-hmm. that uh, that God would cut through um, all the misunderstanding and fuzzy words and. Mm-hmm. Lord, we ask you to help every person listening to this episode right now to accept Jesus as their Savior. Give them their own personal Pentecost (laughs) right this minute. Then help them to start to grow spiritually and be and become all that God created them to be and to become. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, would you believe it? The big clock on the wall is telling (laughs) us that it's time to close. And this has been another incredible episode, but it's time to go. And I want to remind everyone that this, this is episode 13 and that a script and recording is available on our website at goscpod.com. And for now, this is Owen Allen. And this is John Shields, along with our producer, Shannon Wolf, saying, May the God of our fathers bless you and keep you and guide you and protect you until we meet again. <laughs>